Good morning. Beautiful, beautiful Sunday morning, and it's great to be together as a, as a church family. For those of you that are guests, um, my name is Dave, and I'm the pastor of preaching here at Four Oaks, and we are just grateful to God for every guest that walks through that door. And uh, we hope this morning that you have an opportunity to both enjoy and encounter the Lord Jesus through the preaching of his word and through the fellowship of his people. So thanks for joining us. Also, this might be of interest to our guests. We're part of a network of churches called Sojourn Network, and that network exists to help pastors plant, grow, and multiply local churches. And so right now, this local church is part of 16 different church plants that are going on throughout this nation's four that are going on like right this morning. Churches are starting up in Denver and in in Columbus and uh, in Dayton, Ohio and a couple other places I can't even remember. But it's just wonderful to be part of that. I was at a a, uh, retreat recently and some of our pastors were sitting at tables around the retreat room. And as I was looking at the small group discussions that was going on, facilitating the discussions were were men that had written books on the material that they were talking about, that were teaching in seminaries on the material that they were talking about. And it was just a great, wonderful picture of how that partnership is serving uh, the pastors of, of Four Oaks. And, and so I'm very grateful for that partnership, and I'm grateful for your partnership in Sojourn Network as well. So today we begin our series. We continue our series, I guess, because Pastor Paul began it last week on uh, 2 Corinthians, the book of 2 Corinthians. The series is titled, Weak is Strong. And uh, honestly, it's impossible, it's impossible for me to convey to you how excited I am about us going through this epistle. This, This book has had immense meaning to me over the last five years. In fact, there's no other book of the Bible that I've studied more over the last five years than 2 Corinthians. And I believe God's going to meet all of us in ways that's ultimately going to change, it's going to alter, it's going to affect the way we think about God. And I'm, I'm, I'm expecting that, I'm praying for that, and I'm anticipating that as we open our Bibles to 2 Corinthians beginning in chapter 1. So go ahead and open up your Bible. By the way, when you walked in, you probably noticed on your seat was the latest study guide. This is the first one for the new series, has Weak is Strong written on the front of it. So the study guide has several different purposes. One, it's for personal devotions. There are some personal application questions that you can read in there. Also, for additional study, there's some supplemental resources if you want to study further on the things that we're, we're covering together. And then in fellowship group, we use these uh, because there are discussion questions in here for us to talk a little bit more about the content we're hearing and to think out loud about how we can apply it to our lives. So make sure you get a copy of that. Don't leave here this morning without it. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. Excuse me. Blessed... Be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those 
who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken. For we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. Title this morning's message is Comfort Under Fire. Comfort Under Fire. And would you join me in asking for God's help? God of all comfort, we draw near to you now as we together, as a church family, leave harbor on this great adventure into 2 Corinthians. And we pray that you would help us to see the purpose in our affliction. Help us to see the power that is available to us through the weakness inflicted in our afflictions. Lord, help us to see you in a clear way as a result of this study. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Recently, my youngest daughter took an interest in playing guitar, and so I asked a a friend if he would restring an old guitar that I had up, up in the attic. And so I sat and I watched him restring this guitar, and as I watched him unravel the, the coiled strings that were together and stretch them out and attach them to the tuners, you know, the tuners are the things on the neck that you attach the string to and then tune the guitar with. I was reminded as I watched that that, uh, that strings are, are pretty irrelevant. They're pretty useless until they're stretched along a guitar. I'm sure they come coiled, and that looks kind of cool, and they come in nice wrappers, and that's good as well, and they're shiny when they're all coiled up. But until they're stretched, they serve little purpose. Until they're stretched, they make no music. I was thinking about that with respect to us, Four Oaks, you, me, the kind of things that God wants to do in this next season. And I began to think about how, in reality, to be a Christian is to constantly be stretched. Think about it. That's where this whole program started to begin with. We get converted, but our life and our ideas, when converted, are kind of coiled up like the strings, kind of coiled up in a tight, manageable circle. But then we begin to read Scripture, and we begin to realize that to truly follow the God of the Bible, it's going to require stretching. We read one passage, it pulls us in one direction. We read another passage, it pulls us in the opposite direction. And that experience can be so conflicting, it can seem so contradictory, it can seem so inconsistent, and it kind of falls to us to live within the pain and the discomfort of that stretching experience. 
And I think that's very relevant for this series that we're embarking upon. In fact, the title alone stretches us. Weak is strong. What's that supposed to mean? It tells us that there are two apparent contradictions that are held in tension within this very book. Actually, there's way more than two. Because 2 Corinthians repeatedly describes life in two seemingly incompatible experiences. And it starts right as we wade into chapter 1. In chapter 1, Paul Paul speaks of comfort in suffering. In chapter 3, he's going to talk about glory manifested in shame. In chapter 4, he's going to talk about life being in death. In chapter 6, he's going to talk about riches gained through poverty. In chapter 12, it's going to be about power through weakness. Make no mistake, my friends, this series is going to bend our brains. God is going to reach down and he's going to fiddle with our tuners, the tuners in our brain. And like the guitar strings, we're going to be stretched. Second Corinthians will teach rational people that sometimes God offends the mind to reach the heart, which is just another way to say he, he twists the tuner until it stretches to a place where our soul is tuned to him. Our soul is tuned to his word. And that's an appropriate metaphor, I think, as we begin and turn our, our, our attention to the first words of Second Corinthians chapter 1. Because we immediately engage Paul in a season where he's being stretched. We immediately engage the Corinthians in a season where they are being stretched. In chapter 1, Paul wants to help the Corinthians understand the how and the why behind his comfort when he's in affliction. And we need to understand that for Paul, this is not academic. This is not based simply on books that he's read or ideas he's thought about or concepts that he's pondered. This man is suffering. The Corinthians, this group of people that he loves, this group of people that he fathered, are being influenced away from him, and the attacks are coming from those who are completely outside of Paul's control. Forces outside of the church that are seeking to influence the church. And as we wade through 2 Corinthians, we're going to discover first there's a single intruder that's creating a lot of problems, but that's not the only problem because there's also this group called the super apostles. They're kind of like stalkers of Paul whose fundamental aim is to undermine Paul's authority and win the Corinthians over to their way of thinking. So these attacks upon Paul are just unrelenting, and they're sabotaging his relationship. In fact, they're sabotaging his relationship with people that he considers family, people whose relationship he treasures, and he's got these people trying to pull it apart. If you find yourself in a season right now where you perhaps are under attack, you perhaps are experiencing problems at work, maybe people are misunderstanding your motives or they're withdrawing from you for reasons that are wholly inexplicable to you, then perhaps you can identify a little bit with what Paul is going through. And yet, amazingly, this man is not bitter. He is not angry. He speaks of encountering great comfort in the midst of this affliction, certainly another paradox. 
And he speaks of it because he wants the Corinthians to understand and experience the same thing. He speaks of it because he wants us to experience the same thing when, he, when we suffer. And so he outlines for us in verses 3 through 7 four different directions, if you will, four different directions that we can go to experience comfort in times of afflictions. And the four directions are upward, inward, outward, and onward. Upward, inward, outward, onward. And we're going to talk about each one of them beginning with upward. Upward. So to find comfort, Paul first moves upward toward God. Look at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. So God look, or Paul looks up. Paul sees God. And as he sees God, he, he isolates two specific things. First, that God is the source of all the comfort that he needs. Paul calls him the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. And mercy and comfort are important words, by the way, so let's keep those before us because they're connected in the mind of Paul. They're connected in such a way that appropriating an understanding of one is what gives us comfort in the other. So we have to understand the father of mercies to fully understand why comfort is available. See, mercy is about God giving his people something they do not deserve. They did not earn. They did not win. It is a free gift. But it comes from the mercy of God. And mercy has to do specifically with how God related to us in our sinfulness, in our fallenness. In other words, to those who deserved the anger of God, the wrath of God, the punishment of God, the judgment of God, he gave his kindness. He gave his patience. He gave his forgiveness. Because the penalty for sin has been paid by Jesus Christ, because the penalty for our sin has been satisfied by the wrath of God poured out upon Jesus Christ, God is now free because of his mercy to comfort us. He can come to us in our worst situation, and he no longer needs to relate to us as sinners, to relate to us as people that are falling short. Jesus cleared the way so that God can rush towards us, move towards us as quickly as possible with the comfort of his love. That word comfort's an important word, by the way. It's used ten different times in this passage of Scripture. In fact, it's used as both a noun and a verb. The Greek word there is paraklesis, paraklesis. You may, may remember from studying Acts that the Holy Spirit was called the paraclete. Here it more means the activity of somebody who comforts. So it means to encourage, to strengthen, to stand by another, to encourage as they endure testing. That's what God's talking about here. That's what God wants to make available to Paul and available to us in the midst of our afflictions. And Paul understands where it's coming from, so he wants to explain to the Corinthians what the source of these blessings are. What is the source of the encouragement that he feels? What's the source of the strengthening that he's encountering? He wants them to see the source. And for Paul, the source is not a bottle. 
It's not a drug. It's not pornography. It's not the kind of things that men and women run on to when they need to receive comfort. For Paul, it's the father of all comforts. He's the source. Not long ago, Kim and I uh, <clears throat> went down to Wakala Springs. You know, Wakala Springs is the, is the largest underwater cave in the United States. Wakala Springs is churning each and every day two to 300 million gallons of water bubbling up. Two to 300 million gallons a day. So if there's a drought here in Killarn, and we are dry, and we are thirsty, and we need water, we're not going to rush over to, oh, what is this lake called over here, Killarney Lake or something? I mean, half the time it's empty, it's, it's, it's low, it's, you know, it's unpredictable. The source is light, the source is often gone. We're not going to go there, we're going to go to Wakala Springs, where there's two to three hundred million gallons coming up each and every day. And there we encounter a source that has an endless supply of what we truly need. Paul says, yeah, God is like Wakala Springs, always churning forward comfort for you because he is the God of all mercy, which is why Paul goes up. He goes up. And that fuels his worship. That's where he starts. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comforts. Because that's what happens when you see the source. When you see the source and you realize that that source is a never-ending fount of comfort, it sparks a celebration. It sparks worship toward God. So Paul goes upward. But he doesn't end there. Because he also goes inward. The upward supplies him the inward. And that's where he begins to speak of God who comforts, verse 4, us in all our affliction. And then look down at verse 5. For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. I'm going to, I want to slow this down just a little bit so the force of this text can land on all of us. Listen again. He comforts us in all our afflictions. In all our afflictions. In other words, Paul has discovered that God is the God of comfort, and the God of comfort comforts us, so the God of comfort is in the business of comforting, which means that he takes this quality of perfection where he is the God of all comforts. He is the embodiment of comfort. He is the creator of comfort. He is the, the supplier of comfort. And he transfers that to us. He transfers it to us. He doesn't keep them to himself. He doesn't stay up there when we're suffering and being afflicted and just kind of look down on us and wonder, be mystified as to how we got ourselves in this position. He's, he's not like us at all in that way. He doesn't selfishly withdraw his comfort until we're more mature and more worthy of receiving it. He doesn't withhold his comfort because he's kind of a little disappointed in us and kind of wishes that we were further along. He's not the God of comeuppance, you know, crowing over miserable people who just got what they deserved, taking pleasure in the pain of other people. I was reading about Christopher Hitchin this past week. You know, he's, he's that 
He was that outspoken atheist, Christopher Hitchens. He was once asked, Christopher, what is the purpose of life? And he paused, and with great sobriety, he said, mainly gloating over the misfortunes of other people. In other words, the purpose of life is to exalt in our advantages and look down upon those who don't enjoy the same things we do. It's actually kind of a theology of anti-comfort. And I don't know, perhaps that's the logical conclusion to a life without God. It just derives you and directs you and lands you right there. But that's not where Paul goes. Paul recognizes that with the God of all comfort comes comfort in all afflictions. He uses that word, all afflictions, which means God tends our soul when our world is troubled. That even, worst case scenario, even if we're under the, under the affliction of discipline in this season of life, we can feel his pleasure. We can feel his presence. We can know his love. Because the cross has made a way for God to move for us, because, to move toward us because Jesus has cleared the way of our sins. So it happens in affliction. By the way, that word affliction, uh, that's a word that you're going to want to keep before you as you're reading through 2 Corinthians because it's a key word for 2 Corinthians. The word literally means in the Greek, troubles that create inward pressures. Can you relate to that? An inward pressure. Those are troubles that relate, that, that create inward pressures. Now again, with that, with that in view, remember what it says in, in, in verse 4. He calls them the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our afflictions. How does he do that? How does he comfort us in all our afflictions. Well, I'm going to answer that, but get ready to be stretched again, okay? Look at verse 5. In verse 5, Paul says, For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, we share abundantly, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. So Paul all of a sudden brings this thing out of the blue, Christ's sufferings. That somehow when we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, somehow it brings this comfort into our life. What does Christ's sufferings mean? It certainly can't be the personal sufferings of Jesus because Jesus has died, has risen from the dead, and has ascended into heaven. What Paul is referring to here is he's referring to the, to the sufferings that we experience that are associated to our identity with Jesus. In other words, we take a hit because we're Jesus's. We take a hit because we're with him. You remember when Paul was converted on that, that road to Damascus on that day? The first thing that Jesus said to him is he said, Saul, Saul, that was before his name was changed, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? See, Paul, Saul, had been out just, just flooding the land with persecution of Christians. He was, he was pulling them together. He was charging them. He was making sure they were threatened. But to Jesus, he was threatening God. To Jesus, he was persecuting Christ. By persecuting the people of God, he was persecuting Christ. 
So when we suffer, particularly, particularly when we suffer due to the message that we carry or the lifestyle that we have because we're Christians or the mission that God has given us to take the gospel to, to our neighborhood and to other places, when we suffer in those ways, we share abundantly in Christ's suffering. And I want you to think about that next time someone, you know, rejects you because they don't appreciate the values that you hold or they don't appreciate the initiative that you've taken to bring up the gospel and they, they kind of withdraw from you for that reason. You are sharing abundantly in Christ's suffering. But again, let's, let's read the second half of verse 5 as well. So... Through Christ, because we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort. In other words, abundant suffering, try to get this, abundant suffering brings abundant comfort. Abundant comfort, not just comfort, but abundant comfort. The idea there is is just overflowing surplus. Think of a flood of consolation into your life. We are comforted because we follow we are comforted because we follow a suffering savior. I mean, get that. In other words, we're not following a savior who ordains affliction but doesn't really know what that is or has never experienced affliction. On the contrary, the, the comfort that we receive is personalized. It's customized right for who you are, where you are, the specific temptations you're encountering, the challenges that you have, the trials that you're walking through, because we have a high priest. In fact, let's just look at that passage in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 3. The writer of Hebrews says, Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Consider him who endured such hostility against himself. See, there's this call that comes from Scripture to consider Jesus. And the reason we consider Jesus is because he was the suffering Savior, the Savior under trial, the Savior who was afflicted, the Savior who was shamed. And so we are called to consider him. And and we draw some kind of encouragement and comfort from that. In other words, there's... There's a way that we are wired where when we see someone who's endured a worse affliction than we have and they have prevailed, that we draw courage from that. We draw comfort from that. You might be familiar with the name Johnny Erickson Tata. Um, She's been in a wheelchair for probably about 43 years. She's a, a popular author, uh, uh, an artist, uh, a speaker. And <clears throat> when she was first paralyzed back 43 years ago after a diving accident severed her, her spine, when she was first out of bed, she was put in a wheelchair, but she was angry, she was bitter, she was withdrawn. And the, and the people at the, the hospital were trying to trying to work with her, the occupational therapists, were were trying to teach her how to write with a pencil. But in order to do that, they had to put the pencil in her mouth because her arms were paralyzed, legs were paralyzed. So they had to put the pencil in her mouth. 
And so every time they would put the pencil in her mouth and try to teach her how to spell by using her neck and her head, she would spit the pencil out, it would land on the floor, and the occupational therapist would reach over and pick it up and would take a wipey and wipe it off and try to put it back in her mouth. And that went on day after day after day. And so eventually they, they took Johnny and they wheeled her into another room where a man who was paralyzed completely was lying in bed. He was being kept alive by virtue of a ventilator that he was on. And she watched as they put the pencil in his mouth and he began to draw the alphabet. And, and, and his courage, when he was facing that kind of calamity, that kind of trial, his courage amidst his suffering in some strange way comforted Johnny and she found grace and she gained perspective and she eventually not only learned how to write but learned how to paint. And so now you have paintings. You can buy paintings about, from Johnny Erickson Tata that she does with a painting brush in her mouth. Because we have this Savior who has gone before us and the one to whom we flee for comfort is not somebody that doesn't understand what's going on. He is the one who, sp- who sweat blood He is the one who was suffered unjustly as he walked on earth, the pureless, sinless, spotless, blemishless lamb of God. He bore the pressure of saving a group of people who were his enemies, who neither wanted his help or even felt they needed his help. And nevertheless, he came despite the suffering, and he knows how to comfort us when we most need it. And so it's not just upward but it's inward. But it's not just inward, it's also outward. See, this is, this is kind of another place where God, God twists the tuner and we feel stretched all the more. Listen to verse 4. Who comforts us in all of our affliction, listen, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. So the result of fleeing to the God of all comfort and and having him arrive into our life to comfort us in all things is that we then turn and comfort others with the very comfort that we have received from God. In other words, the goal of God's comfort is not to create comfort consumers. Comfort's not a commodity that we just kind of pull into ourselves, and we're just happy that we have it, and we're satisfied because we get what we need, and what we need is most important because we are the consumers here, and so we need comfort. God gives it, and that's, what's, that's all that's necessary. No. No, God says, I love you. I'm going to comfort you, but there's a reason I'm comforting you. First, because I love you, and I want to lift your burdens, but I also want you to begin to look to others. I want you to pass it along. God comforts us in affliction that we might pass it along. Another way to say that is comfort is given to be shared. It's comfort. It's it's given to be passed along. It can't terminate upon us. For comfort to bear fruit in us, it must pass from us. For comfort to bear fruit in us, it must go to other people. And this is so important because some of our greatest struggles in life happen 
when we're being afflicted. Our greatest bouts with selfishness come when we are suffering. Because if you're anything like me, I mean, when I'm suffering, my world shrinks to the size of my affliction. And and it gets no bigger than that. In fact, God shrinks to the size of my affliction. And God says, no, no, you don't understand, Dave. I'm not only coming alongside to comfort you, but I want you to turn and use the work that I'm doing in you, the the way you've received comfort, the passages that have had meaning, the way that I've spoken to you, the way the church has come around you to encourage you. Take that and pass it along. You know, one Christmas, my my wife received a a friendship ball. I didn't even know there was such a thing as a friendship ball, but there's a friendship ball. It's kind of a sterling silver Christmas ornament that opens at the top, and then you fill it with pot, pot puree and stuff guys don't care anything about. But uh, it's friendship ball. The idea is it's given to you, and then you receive it, and you use it for a year, and then the next year you give it to somebody else. In other words, it's a gift that's given to be shared, just like comfort. Comfort is given to be shared. It's like it comes with a little tag attached that says, pass it on. Pass it on. Now, I realize, you know, we're starting to get to the really stretchy point because there's even more that Paul has to say about this. In fact, Paul goes a step further and he says, in fact, if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and your salvation, verse 6. In other words, Paul doesn't just leave it at, well, comfort is given to be shared. He doesn't just leave it there. He raises the bar by saying, God at times afflicts me in specific ways that I might comfort others. God afflicts me in order to comfort other people. Well, think about that for a second. Sometimes one of God's purposes in our afflictions is to comfort others from what we've learned. Sometimes one of God's primary purposes in what we walk through, in what we suffer, in the trials and in the testings is to comfort others from what we experience. And listen, I got to be honest with you. I don't get that. That bends my brain. That stretches me. When I'm suffering, I don't want that. And yet it's one of the ways, according to God's word, that he uses all things to work together for good to those that love him and those that are called according to his purpose. You know, we we have an elder in this church. His name is Aaron Kinnon. If someone in this church is in the hospital, Aaron Kinnon is there. He's he's an amazing guy the way he serves this church. Joe Joe LeBlanc this past week called him the great comforter of Four Oaks. Last year, Aaron had a heart attack. Put him in ICU for about three or four days. And yet once he rebounded, he was saying he he began to notice something. He began to notice that his experience of comforting other people was was deepened. It was his ability to do so was more robust. It was broader. He had more to say. And I was saying, I said to him, why do you think that was? And he said, because I've been in the bed. I've been in the bed, and I know what it's like to worry 
about your family. I know what it's like to lay there and understand what that scared look on your spouse's face really means. And he said, had I not had that experience, I would not know now how to comfort nearly as effectively as I do. Let me ask you a question. Is it possible that you suffered the way that you did? Not just that you might encounter comfort, but that you might impart comfort to others? This is part of where the outward comes in. I mean, wouldn't it have been nice if this this whole section would have ended, ended with the inward? We go upward, we go inward, and then it's over. But God says, no, no, there's more. I'm stretching you. And to give this outward part, this outward point legs, let me just offer you some practical tips on comfort. Tips, think of these as tips when moving outward. Here's the first one. Where possible, comfort in person, not electronically. Not electronically. Now, let me just say right out of the gate, I'm grateful for social media. I'm grateful for texting. I'm grateful for the iPhone. I'm grateful for these tools that we have. I mean, just this past week, I was able to receive updates on four or five different situations to know how to pray a little bit better, to stay in contact in certain ways with people that are outside of the city. Paul is right here in 2 Corinthians. He's comforting the Corinthians and us by letter. So it's, it's not like there's no place for comforting via, via writing. But when our default for comfort is electronic, it loses one of the greatest impacts that comfort delivers, and that is the impact of personal presence. The impact of personal presence. Because the best way to comfort somebody, the best way to comfort somebody where possible is, let's call it incarnational. You know, the incarnation is where God became man, where God took on flesh, and rather than staying up there in heaven and sending a text or sending an angel, he came and lived among us. He served us. He loved us as somebody who understood us. He stood before us. He looked like us, and he came to us, and he began to reach us in that way. So when God wanted to meet us in our suffering... God became man and located himself right in the middle of our problems. He did it through personal presence. So where possible, comfort in person, not electronically. Point two, be quick to listen, slow to speak. Be quick to listen, slow to speak. Don't feel the burden to be Dr. Phil, okay? You know, I'm on the elliptical down at Premier, and I'm doing the elliptical, and I I flash through, and occasionally Dr. Phil. I don't watch Dr. Phil. I'm more of a Dr. Oz guy. Um, But occasionally Dr. Phil is on, and and you'll hear him. He'll ask a question, but then within seconds, he's, he's talking, talking, talking. He's supplying answers. He's talking, talking over people. And I get it. It's his program. No, no evaluation, no judgment on that. But what I'm saying is, if you really want to comfort people in a meaningful way, be prepared to sit with them. Be prepared to ask questions of them. Be prepared to listen to them. You know, Job's friends, yeah, they, they, they get a... They, they did some dumb things. But they get a bad rap sometimes because long before they opened their mouth, they went to Job and sat with him 
for seven days. Seven days saying nothing, simply listening. It's when they opened their mouth that things got problematic. So when you do speak, when you do speak, remember that what makes affliction a trial is not typically what they're actually going through, but it's the attack on faith that's behind what they're going through. And so as you are speaking, there's such a temptation to want to fix what's going on, to, want to, to kind of want to run at answers, and, and, and this is how we can deal with this, when in reality, they don't have any control over their situation, and what they need to have is not just answers springing from us, but they need to see a big God. They need to see the God who's worthy of their trust. They need to be reminded that he is good. They need to know that he's a rewarder of those who seek him. So don't worry about being clever. Don't worry about being an expert counselor. Just put the word of God in play and let them remember God. So be quick to listen, slow to speak. Third, when you speak, remember to first sympathize with them in their weakness. Hebrews chapter 4, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us in our weakness. God immediately comes to us in the person of Jesus, and he says, I get it. I understand. I know what that's like. And he sympathizes with us. You know, think about a time where you've been afflicted in a similar way. Maybe there's a time where you have been. Think about that. Let people understand that you get that then because you've, you've suffered in a similar way. Do, do you remember how much it meant to you the last time you suffered to have somebody sit across from you and say, I'm just so sorry. I'm so sorry for what you're walking through. I wish I could help. I want to help. Think about if you're suffering in the way that they're suffering. Think about how you would want to, to, to be cared for. What would you want to hear if you were suffering in the way they're suffering and then do unto others as you would have them do unto you? So when you speak, remember first to sympathize with them in their weakness. And lastly, pray the Holy Spirit comforts them. Pray the Holy Spirit comforts them. You know, we've already mentioned the Holy Spirit is called the paraclete, which is the comforter. But I want you to think about this. Think about this. Comfort is so important to God that one of the three persons of the Godhead are named comforter. That's how, that's the, how seriously God takes this business of comfort. So the best service that we can supply is to pray that their pain would meet God's consolation in the person of the Holy Spirit. So pray the Holy Spirit comforts them. Now, in closing, I just want to, I want you to look at what triggers this surge of comfort into our life. And I want to do that real quick by reading 3B. And if we are comforted, or 6B, if, if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. So here we learn there is a final point to comfort, which God wants to make sure that we catch. And it's not just the outward, but it's the onward piece. It's the marching on piece. And according to verse 6, the second part of verse 6, our perseverance triggers something from God. 
Our perseverance triggers God's comfort to us. And this is really cool. It's almost like God is saying the comfort with which you've experienced. In fact, that phrase in, in verse 6, the comfort which you've experienced, it's probably better translated, the comfort which is energized by God. So, so the point is that patient endurance in sufferings, in the same sufferings of Paul, will energize the activity of God, will activate the comfort of God. And so it activates the comfort of God, and the result is we, endure, we patiently endure the same sufferings. The effect is we go on. We go on. We stay in. We don't bail. We go on. That's why Paul says in verse 7, our hope for you is unshaken. Because their perseverance is is eliciting something from God. It's energizing comfort that moves towards them. Their perseverance is kind of tripping the comfort switch. And they go on. They persevere. Listen, whatever you're feeling right now, whatever you're experiencing right now, whatever the trial is, whatever the challenge is, whatever tribulation it is, I think God wants to use this passage and probably use this series to remind you that there's comfort up ahead. There's comfort up ahead. You know, a person can endure almost anything if they know at the end of the day there's a good meal and a good bed that they can get a good sleep in. In other words, if they know there's comfort up ahead. And that's part of what this series is about. That's part of what this message is about. Because this passage, in fact, this series starts by sparking a hope deep down in our soul that regardless of our trials or our troubles, regardless of the weights that we are bearing right now or the worries that we have right now, regardless of the pain that we feel or the problems that we face, there is comfort up ahead. And so we go on. And as we go on, as we do, we experience the God of all comforts. Let's pray.